Shalom is the way things ought to be. Everything working together so that God and people and it's all wonderful, right? That's what peace is. We have a tendency to think of peace as like just a cessation of hostilities. Like we used to bicker and now we just don't say anything to each other. You know what I mean? Like, like that's not peace. A cessation of hostilities, like you, you can't have peace when you're in hostilities. But really the word for peace means universal flourishing. Peace is a concept that's talked about. Governments have peace talks. People take part in peaceful protests. Parents want peace and quiet. But is this what peace is? Today, Pastor Daniel explains that peace is an important aspect of the crazy, happy life that God wants for you. But God's definition of peace isn't just a lack of fighting or hostility. It's way more than that. God's peace is a life as it ought to be, one where everyone flourishes. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his message, Bearing Crazy Happy Fruit. And when you think about it, Jesus responded to the aggressions of the world with self-sacrificial love, not with further aggression. And for the people of God, this is our life. And of course, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Is love. In the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The art of living is loving. It's, it's, it's a life that is this self-giving love. Now, the reason we can, because that word love is not the way I love ice cream, and you know I love ice cream. But I love ice cream because what ice cream does for me. I love the flavor. I love the sugar jolt that I get after it. I love that even when you eat the whole thing, you can go buy more. You know what I mean? It's like, like I just enjoy it, you know? But, but this love is not that love. The love that this word means, this word agape in the Greek, it literally means self-sacrificial or self-giving love. Now, you might say, well, how can I do that? Because God is giving you self-sacrificial love and you're receiving it from the Lord and then you get to share it into the world. So it's not a self-generated love. Remember, he is the vine, he is the trunk and we are the branches. We get our nourishment from him. So you might say, it's, Daniel, you don't understand what I'm going through. It's impossible to love that person. I'm like, that's what people would have said about you. But Jesus still loved you. That's what people would say about me. But Jesus loves me. And so love always comes first. Of course, Jesus said it this way, speaking about the self-sacrificial characteristic of love, in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. We partook of the communion table. The bread and the cup, symbolic of Jesus laying down his life for people. The greatest display of love. And so you have to simply ask yourself in everything you're going through, what would true love do? And what it does is it takes us out of this tit for tat, 
this cycle of escalation. And it moves us from I don't respond in kind to what I get. I get what I get and I respond in kind to what Jesus has done for me and I just give that to those people. And that's why Jesus can say all these amazing things like when he's on the cross and the people who crucified him, he's like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Right now in your circumstances, in the issues that you're dealing with, what if I told you that God wants to leverage what you're going through to birth a greater self-sacrificial love in your life? Because I'm here to tell you, and I say this all the time, if you're here, and I realize not everyone here is a believer in Jesus, and that's kind of one of the things I love about Crossroads. Everyone's on their own step. We, want you, we can't make you on a different step. It's your, it's your journey. So, you know, we like that you're here at whatever step that you're on, right? But for the follower of Jesus, one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to birth a new way of being because you're the only Bible that someone's ever gonna read. And the biggest issue I think we have today is that believers are lousy translations of the scriptures. Like you're like a living Bible. And so the way that you carry yourself through the world has an impact on people. People who don't know Jesus, people are gonna watch you to see is there something to this Jesus thing. And so if you remember, love always comes first, self-sacrificial love. That's what Jesus has done for us. So we always wanna say, Lord, in what I'm going through, am, Lord, will you birth agape in me? Will you birth self-sacrificial love in me? We take that step. That's a transformational thing. We don't give back what they're giving to us. We give to people what Jesus gave us, which is something we didn't deserve. We love them even when they don't deserve it because he loved us even when we never deserved it. He loved us before we said yes to him. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So love always comes first. Now from there, of course, the second characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's joy, right? And I like to say that joy happens when we focus on Jesus. Joy happens when we focus on Jesus. I like to, to, to say that that word joy, it's a disposition of the heart that trusts God in the midst of whatever we're going through. And again, you see how this gets born in our life in the context of abiding in Jesus because really what goes on is if you think about the things that steal your joy, and there's all sorts of things that can, you know, almost always the things that steal our joy have a component that we're not trusting that Jesus can work this thing out in the end. So the things that steal our joy are actually areas that are showing us, hey, what does it look like to ruthlessly trust the Lord in this crazy circumstance that I'm going through? And for all of us, we know what it's like. Like, you know, like it's, it's amazing, you know, you know uh, my, my son Obadiah is 16 and so he's, he's learning how to drive. And it's amazing the anxiety that comes up in the heart of a parent when you're teaching your kid how to drive and you're like, oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Like, like how's this going to work? And then you start wondering, like, like, like I'm not always going to be, I'm in the car right now. I got 50 hours of this. I'm going I'm to be just straight up a silver fox by this time. This is over. <laughs> like, it's like all the way. 
dude, it's like, and, I, and, I, and he's a great dude and he's, and he's actually doing really good driving. He's a way better driver than I was at that point, you know? They shouldn't have even let me anywhere near the steering wheel. You know what I mean? And he's doing great, but like, can I trust the Lord in this? Can I trust that what I'm trying to share with him, like that he can, that he's gonna do it and that he's gonna be solid and can I trust, you know, and then I'm, I'm talking to him, I'm like, you know what the problem is, buddy, with driving? I'm like, you only can control your stuff. Then there's all the other knuckleheads behind the wheel of a car. You know what I mean? He's like, what do you do with that? I'm like, well, you do the best you can and you trust the Lord. I'm like, everything in life involves some sort of trust. You have to trust God. But what I've learned is that joy runs away when I stop trusting. Like, it's like joy can't abide where there is no faith and there's no trust. And of course, the, the single greatest definition of joy is really, it speaks about your focus, J-O-Y. You learned it in Sunday school. Jesus, others, yourself. That's the right order. And what's amazing is, is our culture struggles because our culture has it completely upside down. Our culture says yourself, others, and Jesus in order of priority. And, and like, we don't knock that in the culture. We realize that that's exactly what happened when Adam and Eve fell. You know, like... In the fall, everything got warped. Everything got upside down. Like some would say that God created a spirit, soul, and body. And Adam and Eve in the garden, the spirit drove everything, which drove the, 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 the inner life, the life of the soul, the emotions and the will and all this. And, and that drove, you know, now all of a sudden the spirit it has the authority. Then the spirit drives the soul life. And then the spirit and soul life drives the body. And then the body is set apart as innocent and now all of a sudden everything works. But then when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the bodily desires comes first. The more animalistic side of, of being a mammal or whatever it is, you know what I mean? That takes the lead. And so the body then drives the inner life, which then drives the spirit, which is not the way it was created to work. And it doesn't work that way. And so really what you have is that you have this idea that what the Lord is wanting to do is he wants us to keep things in the right priority. And I'm here to tell you that you know it's a supernatural work of the Spirit when you're more focused on Jesus' glory than your own, and then also when you're more focused on helping others than them helping you. And, I mean, the Apostle Paul said it this way, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so really this fruit of abiding in Jesus, when you're walking with Jesus and you're abiding in him, he makes you care about other people and esteem them higher than you even care about yourself. You're like, listen, because of what God has done for me and because I trust God, now I can live in a way that actually esteems you because I'm not worried that I'm not going to have anything. And one of the best examples of this is the story of Abraham. Remember Abraham and Lot? You know, Abraham was promised this land by God, and he brought his nephew Lot with him. And then as God was blessing Abraham and Lot, there became a lot of friction between their, their employees because there wasn't enough space for both of them. And what was amazing is, is God had promised the land to Abraham, but when Abraham's trying to fix what's going on, he says, now Lot, we need to separate because there's, we're on top of each other. There's all these issues. So he's like, I'll let you choose. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Now you think to yourself, but God promised Abraham. So Abraham should have chosen the land that God told him he was giving him. And, and it's like, no, no. 
Abraham trusted that no matter what Lot chose, God's plans were still going to come to pass. And now all of a sudden, it takes all of the friction and the fear out of the situation because you're saying, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what you're going to do, but Lord, I trust you. And because I trust you, I can have this joyfulness in my heart. And listen, I realize some of what you're going through is so crazy. It's so insane that you're like, I don't know how this is going to work. And if you're in that place, all I want to tell you is this. When Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, his disciples had no clue how this was going to work out. Even though he told them he was going to be resurrected from the grave, they could not even fathom how this was all going to work out. And although Friday was a total train wreck, Sunday came and Jesus walked out of that tomb and he revealed himself to them and their lives are forever changed. And so if you're in the middle of a deep crucifixion right now, don't forget that God never ends the story on crucifixion. He always ends the story on resurrection. And if we can trust the Lord in it, we begin to, we hope and we have joy even though we haven't seen the resurrection yet. And that's really where the magic happens, isn't it? Because you're walking by faith and not by sight. So joy is this disposition of the heart that it happens when we focus on Jesus, when we trust Jesus. And I think for all of us, every day is a great day to learn how to hope and trust and focus on Jesus. Now, the third characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. I like to say it this way. Peace happens in three directions. Peace happens in three. You see what I'm doing there? There you go. Peace happens in three directions. Now, now, I always like to remind everyone, when we think of the word peace, the word in the Hebrew is the word shalom, which there's no doubt for Jesus, the Apostle Paul, they're bringing this concept of shalom into the, the Greek concept of peace, which really speaks to everything working together in a way that there is universal flourishing. You know, one commentator said, it, a philosopher named Cornelius Plantiga, that shalom is the way things ought to be. Everything working together so that God and people, and it's all wonderful, right? That's what peace is. We have a tendency to think of peace as like just a cessation of hostilities. Like we used to bicker and now we just don't say anything to each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that's not peace. A cessation of hostilities, like you, you can't have peace when you're, in hostilities, but really the word for peace means universal flourishing for everybody and everything, everything under the authority of Jesus. And I just say that peace happens in three directions. Why? Because of course, it's an upward, inward, and outward peace. That it begins with peace with God through the finished work of Jesus. We hear about that in Romans chapter five. So there's peace with God, right? When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, you are at peace with God. Until you say yes to Jesus, you and God are not bros. You're not together. You're, you're not in a healthy relationship. The Bible says that we are God's enemy. People hate hearing this in this day and age because our world tells us, hey, you're human. God is good with you. And God's like, actually, that's not the case. Just in the same way, imagine someone said, listen, imagine you own a company. Someone steals everything. Well, listen, but because you're a human, we're good. Does anyone do that? No, right? So in order to be at peace with God, you need to have put your faith and trust in Jesus because Jesus made peace through the cross. And once you have that upward peace, peace with God, then God shares with you his own personal peace and you get the peace of God. You read about that in Philippians chapter four. 
So the peace with God upward leads to the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you abide in Jesus, God's own peace that is incomprehensible to the human mind is something that guards you. You have an inward peace and then through the upward peace, peace with God and then the inward peace, the peace of God, then you and I get to be proactive peacemakers in the world. So it is this peace in three directions, but I'm here to tell you, You cannot be a proactive outward peacemaker unless you have the peace of God from peace with God. And I always use the same example because it it always plays well. And I think it's really good. You know, good old John Lennon. You know what I mean? All we're saying is what? Give peace a chance. He couldn't even keep the Beatles together though because you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. And in a lot of ways, the reason our world is so broken today, the reason people can't be at peace with one another today is because we're not letting peace with God drive our own inward, the peace of God, which then leads us to be able to make peace with other people. And if there was ever a time we needed this three-directional peace, it's right now. Our world is so fractured, so divided, so aggressive and angry. And listen, I realize our culture is gonna be what it's gonna be. And in a lot of ways, the people of God just need to be different. We should be unique, distinct. We should be living for a different set of rewards, a different set of ideas, you know? And in a lot of ways, I think the big struggle more recently is that as our culture becomes more divided, the church seems to be following the world rather than leading the world. And I think that, you know, for me, it's, it's caused me to take pause and look in my heart, like, what's in there? And what I've realized is that division is the default condition of the fallen heart. I mean, like, when you think about the fall of humanity, there was a unity between God and Adam and Eve and that automatically dissolved with the fall. So that old saying, but by the grace of God, there go I. The only way real peace can be made is through peace with God. And if God's grace is a part of your life, then my simple question is, is are you letting God use you to make peace because he has made peace for you in Jesus? The Apostle Paul said that we should live peaceably with all people when it's within our power. Sometimes it's not within our power. But as much as we can, we should. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Wow, isn't that beautiful? He's saying, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. I've given you peace. And it's going to abide with you. And I think that the peaceful, the peace-filled and peaceful person in a world full of division and competition and conflict, talk about a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Talk about a light on a lampstand. You, like, you can't deny that. Do you ever try and have an argument with someone who's not going to have an argument with you? Some of you have experienced this. It's impossible to have a one-sided argument. 
And in a lot of ways, God wants us, the people of God who are filled with the Spirit, who are abiding with Jesus, to be the kind of people who can't shake that peace. You, you know, because what Jesus bought for us through his own life and death is so substantial. And if right now you're saying, man, well, that's, that's a great thought, but my peace has been shaken. Guess what, brother, sister? Let me simply encourage you. God wants you to abide in him. God wants you to plug yourself back in because obviously the lack of peace, it's a positional problem in your experience, not in who you really are. We have to lean into that. That three-directional peace. And then finally for today, we'll take the fourth characteristic of the fruit. Aren't these amazing? I mean, we could do like, I could do a sermon series on each one of these. I should probably do that at some point. I just do like eight messages on love, eight messages on joy, eight, because there's so, like, I'm just, I'm just touching stuff. I'm not even really getting to get into it. And, and like, I would really encourage you, like, like take these words and, and, and search through the scriptures and, and unpack them for yourselves. And, and, and what does this mean? And how does it apply to my life? Because this is so rich. There's so much in this, so much more than I can ever express of how powerful these concepts are. Right? But notice the fourth one. The word is, is, is long-suffering. And I would say it this way, that really patience is trust in action. Long-suffering, I think, is the best definition of patience. You know what patience is? Patience is when you have to suffer long for a long time. And can we just be honest? Is there anybody here who thinks they have the gift of patience? Bueller. Anybody want that? I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me. I, like, and I'll just be honest with you. I am not a patient person in any way. I mean, I've grown up in the right now generation. You know what I mean? It was funny. I was talking to my kids about this because, you know, like, the internet's great, you know, but, like, it, it does bog down when you have all these kids on, uh, on distant learning and, and videos and all this stuff. And I was trying to explain to my kids when they were frustrated about the internet. I'm like, man, there was a time when you, there was a telephone line that, you, you know, you just kind of, and you have to wait, like, 30 seconds to get online. And then you're online for, like, 13 seconds. And God forbid the website had a picture on it and the whole thing froze. And they're like, how did you survive? You know, they couldn't believe it. And, and I'm sitting there and I, I get mad when like, when like the, the, the thing spins for one second. You know what I mean? And so like, like I've grown up in this generation where it's like everything happens right now. But here's what I've learned. With patience, you can be the most patient person if you trust that the Lord can work it out in his own time. Most of our impatience, like, Lord, if you don't get this done down, I'm going to be late for work. And if I'm late for work, I'm going to lose my job. And, I'll, you know, and there's all these things that go on, right? And really what it is, is impatience shows a lack of trust. And patience says, God, you can do a work. Let me tell you this. Most of our struggles, we get impatient with people. And the reason you get impatient with people is you are not walking out at street level the fact that God can change their life. Jesus is Most of us don't like to wait. We aren't very patient as individuals or as a culture. Patience, as Pastor Daniel shared today, is trust in action. You learn that your ability to be patient is linked to your assurance that God is enough for what you're going through and that you can trust Him to work things out. 
It's called long-suffering for a reason, and it's not a fun process. But it will produce spiritual fruit in your life as you ruthlessly trust the Lord. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when you'll press on in this overview of the fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Daniel will share that they're a gateway to the crazy happy life that God wants you to have and will truly make a difference in your life. Fostering these qualities will help you step off of what Pastor Daniel calls the hamster wheel of happiness so that you can experience deep settledness and joy. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, Crazy Happy. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.